This from the Sermon on the Mount in the sixth chapter of Matthew. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Back in January, uh, three of us from the church were in the uh, perhaps the poorest country in the world, the country of Burundi in Africa. And the bishop was talking to us about his fledgling denomination and what he was hoping to do for his pastors, uh, uh, most of whom don't receive a penny of salary. And he said to us, they don't have any retirement. He said, so what I'd love to do for each of these hundred pastors is give them a cow. And he said, and then the cow could fertilize their garden so they could raise food for themselves. And then they could get their milk on a daily basis. Now, at first, I sort of didn't think much about that thought. But then when it looks like the cow is outperforming my 401, I'm starting to rethink that for a little bit. But I'm really rethinking it because of this idea of they would get milk on a daily basis. And I'm reminded of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this was not unprecedented. As I may have told you a few weeks ago, every part of the Lord's Prayer can be found in a prayer that Jews would offer in the day of Jesus. And so it wasn't unprecedented for God, for them to ask God to give them uh, their daily bread. In Proverbs, the 30th chapter, it says, um, uh, don't make me rich. And, uh, and, and don't have me be in poverty. Keep me from riches. Keep me from poverty. But give me my daily bread. In the experience of the people in the wilderness, they were hungry uh, when they'd escaped from Egypt were in the wilderness. And God would give them bread on a daily basis, according to Exodus 16, through the giving of manna. And so I began to start to think, even back then, what does it mean to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Well, I think it means a number of things. And so if you'll pardon me this morning, I want to tell you that when you say to God, give us this day our daily bread, you are saying a mouthful. Let's sort of break it down and see some of the things that we're saying to God in this prayer. The first one is this. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you need to remember that back in Jesus' day, for the majority of people, about 90% of them who lived in Israel, uh, they were on a subsistence uh, economy. They were barely making it, and so they only had one food group, and that one food group was bread. And so when they would pray for daily bread, they're basically saying not just bread, but all the basic necessities of life. God, give me what I need to live this day. That's their daily bread. Now, what they're not asking for is, uh, is for it just to rain out of heaven, as it did in Exodus 16, and them do nothing. They uh, are acknowledging that they will work for that bread. Uh, the daily, uh, average daily laborer in Jesus' day worked a whole day, got paid in the evening, went off with the evening uh, pay, and brought, bought the bread for the next day. Uh, They're not saying, I'm not going to work, just bring it to me. Exodus 16, manna came down from heaven, but they had to collect it. Uh, They are acknowledging, though, that that one of the ways that God gives us daily bread is through the talents and gifts and the energy that God uh, has blessed us with to work, 
to make an income to get our bread. And that's perfectly within the Lord's Prayer. Give us the basic necessities of life, it says. Second thing I think you're saying is, I'll be content with what you give me, Lord. Give me, uh, or give us this day our daily bread. Give us enough for this day. In other words, I'll be satisfied with, with what you give me this day. Psalm 16 uh, says this, Lord, you've given me my cup and my portion. And there's a sense in which you understood what you had was what God was giving you, and, and you were willing to accept and live with that. Psalm 23, uh, we talked about last summer. Let me remind you, there's that beautiful phrase that God makes us lay down in green pastures. And uh, when, when I think about that phrase, I used to think that it meant like uh, you're just in the middle of belly deep alfalfa. You know, you turn right, you turn left, everywhere you go, more than you could possibly ever want to eat. But you'll remember when we were talking about the desert uh, last summer, we realized that green pastures is a Hebrew word picture. It's a desert um, um, uh, a metaphor. And the metaphor is there were little tufts of grass that would spring up in the desert in the morning under a rock and then would wilt as the day went on unless it were, uh, was eaten. And that's what the sheep would eat. Under a rock would be a little tuft of grass, about a mouthful. And the word for that is green pastures. It's a desert picture. Basically, the sheep uh, were getting a mouthful at a time. And that's what uh, David was talking about in the 23rd Psalm and what Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer is, give me enough for this moment. Uh, I'll be satisfied with what you give me to chew on. Now, the problem here is that so many of us uh, uh, desire much more than what God has given us. Writer John Cheever made the observation a number of years ago that as he traveled around America, the dominant middle-class American emotion, he said, is disappointment and discontent. That, that whatever they have, it isn't enough. Well, give us this daily bread, says, it'll be enough. We'll, we'll take that. And then when you say, give us this daily bread, it also indicates not only that you're willing to be content with what God has given, that you're trusting God will give you the next day. Because if God's given you daily bread, then what about tomorrow and next week? Well, you're saying in this prayer that that is in God's hands as well, that you will trust God to provide for you and give you what you need. And trust, I think, is very difficult when we have more than our daily bread. Trust is difficult when we look at our pantry and I've got food for tomorrow and I've got it the next day and I've got it the next week if I need it. Moses knew this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses said to the people, you're going to get to the promised land and you're going to come into fields and vineyards and houses and none of which you started. They were all started before you got there. And then Moses said, and then you will forget the Lord your God. Last year, we talked about being in the desert, and, and it's a metaphor for difficult, hard times, illness, relationship struggles, problems at work, economic difficulties. And we said those are tests that come our way. But Moses seems to indicate in Deuteronomy 8 that the hardest test of all is not the times of struggle. The hardest test of all is the test of prosperity. And the more prosperous we become, the less dependent we are on God and the less interested we actually are in a relationship with God. John Wesley started the Methodist movement, and it was a, a movement started among the working poor. 
And Wesley said his biggest fear was that as Methodists gave their hearts to Christ and sort of cleaned up their life and became more disciplined and challenged each other while they lived and served together, that they would then of necessity move upward in class as they saved more and earned more. And then he said, my fear is they'll become so prosperous they will forget God. That's the hardest test of all. And the Lord's Prayer just asks, God, we don't want to forget you. We want to trust you for all things. One of um, my favorite books, some of you may have heard of before, it's called The Heavenly Man. It's about a a man, Brother Yoon, who was a, um, uh, a house church leader and then a leader of a network of house churches in uh, communist China. And so he was always uh, under harassment by the authorities, often uh, arrested, often beaten, uh, within an inch of his life. But he continued to see miraculous things happen in his life and in the life of his community. And uh, in fact, a miraculous escape from jail that was not unlike the escape from jail that Peter had in the book of Acts. And he escaped from China and ended up in Germany. And from Germany, he made a couple trips to the United States of America for speaking engagements in churches like ours. And he would always speak about the miracles and the wondrous way that God took care of them in uh, China. And he says, invariably, at the end of every lecture, it's question and answer, and somebody will say, "Uh, uh, Brother Yoon, why do we not see miracles like that in America today? And he said, my answer to them is always the same, because you have air conditioning. We're so prosperous, we're not dependent on God. We don't trust God. We trust ourselves. It is, Moses knew, the greatest temptation, and it's the one that seems to slay us again and again. So when you pray this prayer, you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you. And finally, I think when you pray the prayer, you are remembering that why God is giving you and giving us what God gives us is for the purpose of, of being a part of God's kingdom. Now, I've got to tell you, there's scholarly debate. A lot of scholars divide the Lord's Prayer into two parts. Uh, three petitions that you're asking God to do things uh, uh, for God's kingdom. Um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. And then say some scholars, then it shifts to just personal concerns. Uh, give us bread and, and, and forgive us and, and keep us from evil and temptation. But there are a number of scholars who say that even these, quote, personal petitions are still about God's kingdom. That what we're praying is, God, give us our daily bread. Give us what we need to do what you want us to do. That that's the reason we need bread or anything else is so that we will continue to move God's kingdom forward in uh, the world. And when I think about it this way, it begins to help me. Because in Mark chapter 6, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he told them, don't take anything with you. Don't take money. Don't take bread. Don't take a purse. He said, just take a staff. A staff? Well, think about it for a moment. Who else went out there for God with just a staff? His name was Moses. And Moses saw water from the rock. And Moses saw manna from heaven, and Moses saw people healed from poisonous snakes because he was out there for God with nothing but God to do that work. And so at the start of chapter 6, it's interesting, Jesus says, now don't take any bread, just go out there. At the end of chapter 6, everybody's hungry. And Jesus takes a few loaves and fishes and feeds 5,000 people. This is not a coincidence. Jesus is saying, if you'll do my work, be about my work, I will take care of you. Seek first 
says Jesus, the kingdom of God on the Sermon on the Mount. And everything else gets rolled in with it. This helps answer for me a vexing question, which is why do we have so much bread than other people? Why do we have so much more than the people in Burundi and Africa? And I think part of the answer is because God intends us to do certain things for the kingdom. And so God has given us resources to do it. And so God's given us something that they need in Africa. God's given us something they need in Haiti. God's given us something they need across town. God's given us something that somebody at work may need. God's given us something that one of our family members may need. We have it so that we can give it. And the kingdom advances. And yet, when I take so much other stuff, in addition to my daily bread, I think it really slows me down and keeps me from doing what God wanted. Annie Dillard tells the story uh, of a, a British expedition to the North Pole in the 1800s. So uh, members of the Queen's Navy were uh, looking for the North Pole. They should have taken three months' supply of coal on their ship. They would need it. But if they took that much coal, then they wouldn't have room for the 1,200-volume library they wanted to take. Uh, and they wouldn't have room for the silver tea-serving set so they could have tea at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way every day. And they should have taken warmer clothes, but if they took the warm clothes, then there wouldn't be enough uh, room for their dress uniforms, which they wanted to wear when they got there and discovered um, the North Pole. And so what happened to them was predictable. And some months later, the Eskimos came upon the remains of this expeditionary group. And found them in their dress uniforms pulling a lifeboat full, frozen to death, but pulling a lifeboat that was behind them full of sterling silver and chocolate. They had so much. They took the wrong stuff. The, the Lord's Prayer just says, give us what we're supposed to take, what we need, what you can use. And finally, when you talk about kingdom I have to tell you, now half the scholars disagree with me, but that's not unusual. Um, I think any time you talk about bread, you're talking not just about today, but you're talking about forever. Because look at the New Testament, how many parables there are of, of the end and when God's kingdom comes in its fullness and how often they're about banquets and food for everyone, uh, from the Gospels to Revelation. And so I think when you're praying, give us this day our daily bread, you're praying, just give us, Lord, what we need today to do what you want us to do. And then bring that day when you will give us more than we could ever hope for. And everyone will eat and everyone will be satisfied. I think we're asking for both things. I'm reminded of the story, and like the story I told you last week, it's been told so many times that even if it's not true, it ought to be. And the story is about a woman who is the, uh, the head kitchen lady at a church camp. And so she's in charge of the menu and supervising uh, the cooking staff. And one of the things she always has to tell the kids on weekend retreats or on week-long camps in the summer is, when you finish your dinner, don't, don't turn in your fork. Hold on to your fork, she'd say, because dessert is coming. Save your fork, she'd say, because the best is yet to come. And she became famous for that and famous for the zeal and relish with which she served dessert. And so everyone eagerly held on to their fork and did not turn it in when the dinner was over. Well, as the story goes, she found out that she had cancer and knew that she would not live long. So she planned her own funeral. And one of her last requests was this. When you put me in my casket and you prepare to bury me, 
put me in there holding my fork because I know that the best is yet to come. And I think when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're saying, God, help us in this day do what you want. But I think we're also saying, and we look forward to the future because the best is yet to come.